What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes and giving the podcast five stars, leaving a review. You say a few nice words, and uh, that's all it takes. And that will help propel the podcast in the tops of the iTunes charts, and it will make it uh, more nationally and internationally visible, and it will help strangers find the podcast. So if you have a few extra minutes... Definitely appreciate the folks that uh, that take the time to do that, or if you've already done it, really appreciate it. And you can also check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel, which is uh, just a bunch of in-studio and live show performances from mostly all Portland bands of all genres. So tons of videos up there, probably about 150 of them or so. And um, DanCablePresents.com, the central location to find everything going on. We've got episode 174 coming at you. Uh, more jazz, more jazz coverage. Uh, the Montevilla Jazz Festival is coming up on August 17th and 18th, just a week away or so here. And um, I had the pleasure of sitting down with another one of the organizers of the music festival, Ryan Marr. And we had a cool chat. We talked about uh, Ryan's musical journey and um, some of the records that he has made and uh, just some of his his thoughts and, and views on jazz and some of his teaching methods. So I am stoked to share that with you. Um I do want to uh not to not to start this thing off on a bummer note, but uh this past weekend, as I mentioned last week, was uh was Pickathon Music Festival. It was the twenty first Pickathon and for the third straight year I went to the festival um and I was uh I got to do interviews with the bands for the festival, and um, it's just a really cool experience that Pickathon has has given me this these last few years, and something that I continue to look forward to, kind of every year. This uh, this magical Pickathon festival that that goes on here just outside of Portland, Oregon, in the, in the forest on on Pendarvis Farm. And uh, I've seen so much amazing music out there and uh, just so grateful for the opportunity to get to to hang out with these bands. And I will tell you that this year was uh, the best year for the interviews. Just really seemed to get it dialed in for these more short form interviews of having a band for about 10 minutes or so and trying to get as much good information out of them as possible and uh i made a lot of great 
connections with some of these people and and uh that's always a lot of fun for me to get to know the uh the musicians behind uh the music that i love so much and there were some some very special performances nathaniel rayliff's solo set in the woods uh i had the pleasure of sitting about 10 feet from the stage everybody just sat in the ground on the in the woods and watched this dude play a solo set and it was it was unreal and very emotional as he uh shared things about richard swift who was uh, a great musician and producer who was uh, based out of the Pacific Northwest and passed away sometime last year and was uh, uh, meant a great deal to Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. He, he produced those records and, uh, you know, has become a big creative partner of Nathaniel Rateliff. And he was just kind of sharing the tragedy of losing his friend and his emotions through that and uh, shared uh, probably the rawest the rawest performance of music that I've I've maybe ever seen as he uh you know just really bared down during the last couple songs crying his way through and and uh I don't think there was a dry eye in that forest as we were all uh, bearing witness to this this powerful moment and uh of a level of vulnerability that I hadn't quite seen before so there was a lot of special moments as there seem to be at these uh these pickathons and and unfortunately there's uh kind of a gnarly gnarly tragedy to to wrap it up and i just found out about this but um yeah earlier today a couple of the the crew members uh taken down some of the uh the tents surrounding the stage um had a pretty tragic accident um lost a couple of the uh the pickathon crew members and i and i have no idea who they are i don't think their their names have been um even released yet but um the the pickathon family and crew is uh something you learn is is very very tight and um so my my thoughts and my heart is with those folks that uh, have lost their loved ones and their friends. And, man, life is a very strange thing to experience so much joy out of this weekend, um, this big event that everybody looks forward to. And we all have an unreal time and kind of lose a couple people as the re- the results of that time is is kind of mind-boggling and, and a lot to deal with. And uh, just kind of proves that this uh, this life is just kind of relentless and doesn't, you know, I don't know. It just has no no rhyme or reason to it a lot of the time. So and I know that's a, a very heavy, heavy way to start the program this week. But um, just wanted to to share, like, what a special place that is, but also... What a fucking bummer, man. And uh, I'm just, I don't know. It's on my mind right now. It's on my mind and it's it's really, it's really sad. So, um, yeah, like I said, my my thoughts are with those those folks and and the the whole, uh, the whole pick-a-thon 
family, I appreciate. I just want to say thank you again for for having me a part of this thing. is uh, It's very special to me. So um, much love to all those folks. Um, but yeah, we got we got episode one seventy four. We got a great chat with Ryan Marr. Um, loved loved this conversation. Um, this is a dude I only met once before briefly. And he and I seemed to kind of hit it off pretty quickly, and and I just really enjoyed his uh, his thoughts on jazz as an as an art form, and um, yeah, it was just great to get to hear his perspective. I really love his his records that he has, and uh, we spent some time talking about um, the the records that he has available. There's a bunch on all over the streaming for uh, streaming platforms to check out all kinds of different styles of jazz Ryan seems to uh, touch on. And uh, we talk about Atrophy, which is his first release that's up there. And uh, if you're an indie rock fan, I highly recommend checking that thing out because that is um, a really cool, really cool play on jazz that involves a lot of of indie rock and kind of post-rock feels. So, there's that, and um, I will put all the links uh, in the episode notes. Can't believe I got that right. I've had a, I've had a couple tonight. I'll tell you what, I've had a couple. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll put the links in the episode episode notes um, so you can follow along about the Montevilla Jazz Festival, which is going on. Like I said, August seventeenth and eighteenth. So I'll put the link so you can get ticket information if you like. Uh, if you dig jazz or if you just really want to support a uh, cool thing going on in the Portland music community, I encourage you to uh, to come check this out. There's a lot of amazing musicians, including the the legend Mel Brown will be playing both Saturday and Sunday with uh, different bands. So that'll be really cool. And don't forget to leave your iTunes reviews. Can't stress the importance of uh, leaving those reviews. It's a it's a way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. So uh, please do that if you have the extra moments. And uh, you can send me emails at dancablepresents at gmail.com. I'm at dancablepresents on Instagram. All the links are in the episode notes. We got episode 174 coming at you with Ryan Marr. And we're kicking it off with a jam from Ryan Marr. And uh, this is a song off of uh, probably my favorite record of Ryan's. It's called uh, Mist Moss Home. And this is a uh, the second track off that record. It's called First Place. Let's do the damn thing. <laughs>
ready to do this thing, Ryan? I am, Mr. McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> we shall jump in uh, now. Stoked to uh, talk Montevilla Jazz Festival with you, which is coming up August 17th and 18th here it. in the southeast neighborhood of uh, Montevilla. And uh, I'm stoked to go check that out. But I uh, just want to kind of piece together how you become a part of this this festival that's in its uh sixth sixth year yeah is that is that right that's correct um, yeah thanks for having me this yeah cool. absolutely um i've been uh i've been getting an education on your records today you know just really <laughs> really uh taking a dive into uh a lot of the music so i'm stoked to talk well, a little thanks. bit about your music as well as the festival well i appreciate that thanks yeah, man. Um, Always nice to have your music listened to. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool when you take the time to create something and people check it out. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems like you've made quite a bit of music over your life. I'd like to think so, and I'd like to think there's a lot more left. Yeah. It's funny that we're talking about this because, like, um, uh, I, I sort of pretend to be a normal person a lot of the time, and um, a lot of normal people that I associate with that don't know anything about jazz. It's like I sort of have a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of vibe. Uh, like, of course, all my jazz circle, they, they've heard my music and stuff, right? Because that's what you do when you're in a jazz community is check out each other. Um, but, like, I just got back from this vacation um, with people that are definitely not jazz musicians, like not in that world at all, but we're friends. And um, I just get the sense that, like, my normal friends have just don't check out my music at all. <laughs> just like, just like this person I've known for twenty years, but like, uh, oh yeah, he has records. I think I might have listened to one. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm probably wrong about that. But, <laughs> um, and when you say normal, do you mean yeah. just people not in the jazz world? Yeah, because that's. I mean, if you're if you're into jazz, you're probably not normal. And then, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's more or less what I mean. I mean, a- another thing about that normal. Most people, like, if I say, oh, like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a jazz musician. They don't even have questions because they just don't even know what that means. Like, what is, What do you mean <laughs> you're a jazz musician? Like, I think I sort of know something about jazz, but, like, I didn't know that people, especially not old people, were s- still doing that. And, yeah, it's kind of fun to, yeah. like, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> You play that music, I don't understand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have so many questions, but I... <laughs> yeah, I, and that was one of the things that, or some of the stuff I kind of dove in with Neil mm-hmm. a little bit about, too, cool. in which I'm excited to jump in with you, Yeah. because I was telling him that, I don't know, jazz is like something I've kind of come to in the last six or seven years more more attentively. And nice. really, you know, starting to kind of build my own collection of records that I really like. And Hell yeah. um, going to see jazz music is, uh, I think, like really next level performance for me to get to see. Because cool. I'm starting to understand just yeah the, um, the amount of listening that takes place mm-hmm. during a jazz set is like really impressive to me. Uh, do you mean from the performers or from the listeners or both? or um, Mostly from the... The performers, okay. I think that there's so much mm-hmm. listening that happens yeah. during a set, and um, I think I've like you shared like this story a little bit before. But my cousin plays in this this uh, this cool jazz funk fusion band out of Seattle called High Pulp, and 
and one of the joys of kind of getting to hang around a band is just to see like what their process is, the the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they do every night after every one of their shows, the first thing that they do after they get back from the show, wherever that may be, is they sit down and listen to the recording of their show. And it's just, it's cool to watch that uh, that process take place because everybody's so engaged mm-hmm. in this thing that they you know, created that night. And yeah. it's not the same every night. And they want to hear what each uh-huh. other played after the fact and, yeah. and what they played even. And I right. don't know. There's just this, uh, there's just the freedom of jazz is exciting to me. And I think that's what, what's really engaged me about mm-hmm. it. And just to watch that take mm-hmm. place is, seems to be a special thing and seems to be this next level thing for the musicians that take part in it. That's cool. I, I'm. It's nice to hear someone say that, you know, like a non-jazz musician, because uh, that is the stuff. You know, that's what makes jazz uh, special. I, I think is the freedom. Although freedom scares people, you know, um, uh, scares people in music. It scares people in politics. You know, um, uh, so I, I get it. It's not. That's not a music. Just by its very nature, it's not built for mass consumption. Um, and. Uh, when it goes that way, it tends to not be. It tends to not be very good. Sometimes it has. There's been happy jazz accidents that cross into American popular culture and beyond. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just by its very nature, it's not something that everyone gravitates towards. Yeah, it's not. It's not always the most easy listening for everybody. Sure, I guess. But sometimes it is because uh, some people, d- because they don't know exactly what's going on in every single beat or whatever, uh, they can tune it out. And be- because it's, it can be a very pleasant background for some people, um, which keeps a lot of us employed. Is like a pleasant background. Um, it's not where we like to live in the background. You know, yeah. we're, we're artists and we spend our whole lives doing very difficult music that we want to be appreciated, but we also like work and we like it. You know, if, if you find it pleasing, that's great. Yeah. I'll play for a hundred bucks for a restaurant. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to get, I would imagine it's hard to get restaurant gigs if you're in a metal band, you know what I mean? Cause like, that's not pleasing to the ear in the background. Um, would it also be fair to say that you're probably not going to play as a as a jazz outfit? You're probably not going to play a bunch of shit that's like way out during a dinner set, right? Yeah, yeah. The out stuff we usually don't play <laughs> on dinner sets. Yeah, that's just for that's just for you, <laughs> or not even really our own music. Most of the time, for uh, it depends on the. Uh, I did a gig uh, for Wyden and Kennedy recently one of their events and they wanted my original music and they wanted a lot of energy. It was like, that's not normal, but sure. Yeah. I'll take your money and play my music. That sounds great. Yeah. So, you know, we definitely make concessions to be professional. Um, uh, but we also like doing it too. So it's not, you know, uh, it's not really work in a way yeah. it is, but and I don't know. You play a lot of standards. Mm-hmm. I would assume every, every jazz musician does. Yeah. I hope, I, I hope that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, you don't, oh man, you don't have to play standards to be a jazz musician. Uh, at least that's a stance that I take. Uh, there are, there is a, 
another stance where, yes, you have to play the repertoire and you have to play because otherwise it's not jazz. I don't take that firm of a stance on the definition of what jazz is. Um, that would be more of like, you know, a conservative stance from when Marsalis and, and uh, other people. And there is a little bit of that in Portland, like kind of, uh, I hate to use words like Nazi, but it's like bebop Nazi mentality. Where there's like all, um, like all acoustic in instruments uh -huh. too, like right. no elect electronic stuff, no, right. no amps, no... Yeah. No, like electronic keys or any any of that fun shit. Right. Right. Yeah. Th yeah. Th that could be bad to some jazz musicians. And see, like this is what I think is cool about the music is that there can even be that kind of like fighting. And it's like, what the hell are we even talking about? What is jazz? Like, because now jazz mus musicians are saying other jazz musicians are not jazz. It's like, well, <laughs> it, I think that's cool. <laughs> you know, it, it helps. I think describe the American experience, and this music is American. You know, so. Um, I think it's cool. Yeah, that is very interesting. This thing that's supposed to be, you mm -hmm. know, about the freedom of it. Yeah, <laughs> getting kind of boxed in to something and people putting the uh, parameters on yeah. it and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, I tend to think that jazz is not conservative. Like, I think it's weird when I see uh, politically conservative people embrace and love jazz and tout jazz that to me there's like cognitive dissonance there and then there's also conservative jazz too so like you don't even have to be <laughs> a conservative politically person to like conservative jazz it's just like there's overlap and sometimes there's not but i don't i think the idea behind jazz what i'm drawn to that's an easier statement to make is what i'm drawn to in jazz is the idea of like freedom and uh, expression, especially individual expression uh, within a community or within a band um, and moving forward, like progress, right? And so obviously it probably won't shock listeners that I align left politically more <laughs> often than not. Not always, but more often than not, yeah. For um, sure. Yeah. When, when did you start playing music? Uh, my first instrument was trumpet when I was in seventh grade because I didn't want to take home at economics. I was like, I, I don't want to take that as my elective. How about band? And I didn't really know anything about music when I jumped into band. So, um, yeah. And then my middle school band teacher, after my seventh grade year, she made me switch to trombone. And I did not like that. So uh, when... Did you like the trumpet? I loved the trumpet, Yeah. And she made me switch to trombone because she needed trombone players. So you're pretty irritated by that that situation. Yeah, and and, and also like, uh, Nevermind had just come out or something. Okay. So it was like, okay, the guitar is now something that is going to be in my universe. And uh, so when I got to high school, I threw the trombone in the trash and uh, auditioned and miraculously got into jazz band on guitar. Um, and from there, I just like got more and more into jazz and. Yeah, did you take to the guitar right away when yeah, you picked it up? Yeah, I had been playing already since seventh grade, like playing okay. Nirvana songs and stuff. But I, I got good at guitar sort of in the summer between uh, middle school and high school. And I was like starting to like solo a little bit and stuff. And um, I knew some chords that weren't just like cowboy chords or whatever. And so I think that's it. my high school band teacher just took a shot. It's like no one else is trying to play guitar in jazz band, so why not? And uh, then like after... 
after that, I checked out Stevie Ray Vaughan, which, you know, it's not jazz, but, like, there's definitely a lot of musicianship and that kind of thing there. And is, then... Is that, a, is that a big dude for you, Stevie? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Still, to this day, man. Like I feel like I can hear, like, that bl- the blue shit, like, oh. when I'm listening to your, like, some, some of the tunes. I'm nice. Like, oh, that's super bluesy, you know? Well, that's good, because <laughs> that's definitely in my, my roots, yeah. And, and you know, Hendrix, of course, and there's definitely that bluesy thing in Hendrix, too. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't long after that where jazz really just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, so did you like it when you were like when you started playing guitar in the jazz band? Mm-hmm. Did you like that a lot? I did. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was just doing my best to keep up and play chords when I was supposed to play the right chord. Um, I knew a little bit about jazz from middle school jazz band, and I I remember asking my middle school band teacher. Um, because I was like learning trumpet and getting into music, and I was like, "Who should I listen to that plays trumpet?" Like I didn't even know. And she's like, "Well, Louis Armstrong." I was like, "Oh, I've heard that name. Okay, cool." So my parents bought me a Louis Armstrong CD. Um, I think she said Doc Severinsen, which that's not that hip, but I checked that out, and at least you know he's a great musician. And uh, Wynton Marsalis sort of came on my radar somehow, probably because he was the most famous trumpet player that was alive. Um, so I, I had heard jazz. I didn't know anything about it until. I randomly bought a John Coltrane CD, which I had heard his name from the movie Mr. Holland's Opus, and <laughs> I was like, oh, I've heard of this guy, so here's $10 or whatever, yeah. and and when I heard that CD, it changed my entire world. Like, it literally, it was a, an epiphany. I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. That was your, your trigger? Yep. Blue Train. Yep. What, what, do you have any idea what about it just grabbed you in that way? Nope. Uh... I'm fortunate enough to have had an experience like that, that I'm sure, I mean, I know that I'm not the only human being to have an experience like that, but it was one of those that I wish every human being had an experience. Like, I guess they call it the come to Jesus moment or whatever you want to call it. It was just like, this is it. That There it is. That's yeah. the thing. I think uh, I've, I've heard a couple people that have had the pleasure of, you know, having music as their, their career or their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this dude Noah Gunderson that was on the show, he said that he feels very fortunate to have found that thing because he doesn't feel like everybody gets to experience that, like kind yeah. of what you're talking about. Yeah. So I think that that's got to be a pretty powerful thing to when you you just say this is it, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I I really and maybe maybe some listeners can relate like i imagine it's what it's like to see god you know like uh, i am a uh i believe in god and but i've always had a different kind of relationship i feel like with a lot of people than god like it, it's always just been there for me like and without question so it's maybe i'm a little i don't know what i'm trying to say about that but like i i never had a come a literal come to jesus moment because it was just always there like i said yeah so so for jazz is just like this is it like it was like seeing god i think probably that probably yeah. similar <laughs> that's wild man yeah <laughs> that, that's so cool that it was that powerful of an experience for you yeah is that still a record that will like make you feel that way yeah i uh i can remember the actual moment like on the record where that happened and i try to not listen to that part too often uh sometimes 
And sometimes because that record is so popular, I'll hear it out and about or whatever. And I, I still go, oh yeah, there's the part. And I, I like I kind of have the tingles right now thinking about that part. So th- the connection is still there. But I also know enough about myself and my emotions to know that like luster gets worn pretty quickly in my experience. So I don't. That's such a sacred moment for me. I don't want that to go, that feeling to go away. So yeah. I try to avoid that, that fifteen seconds of that song. <laughs> um, so what what does that look like for you after you have that moment? As far as kind of devoting your life to figuring out how to be a mus- a, like career musician. Yeah, I. Uh, so we're talking about like sixteen year old me. Um, I think I just decided, like, well, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. That was an easy decision. Okay. Uh, well, I guess that means you're not going to be a shortstop in the major leagues anymore. Okay. Uh, that's <laughs> is fine. that the other dream? <laughs> yeah. yeah it, that's right, what cool. it was until then. I was like, okay. I mean, I still love baseball, and I still loved baseball then when I'm making this decision. But I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? And I started to just, like, find the answers to what does that mean. And it's like, well, you know, I learned that New York City is where jazz musicians go. And where where were you uh, growing up? I grew up in San Jose, California. Okay. Yeah. So I started to, like, I'm 16 years old going, oh, yeah, I'm going to move to New York City. And people in San Jose, <laughs> my friends are like, what? Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and my parents always wanted me to go to college, and I always wanted to go to college. So I made jazz kind of a part of, like, that's how I'm going to go to college. So I was lucky enough to um, get a full scholarship to study music in college and took that and then moved straight to New York City. So, Did you know anybody else when you were in high school making these decisions? Was there anybody else around you like that, me? that you had even as like a resource to ask how to do this or what their path was? Did you see other no. musicians Is, around you? Because I don't know. I grew up in a suburb of, uh-huh. of California okay. as well. So I feel like that's yeah. not like... It's not something you see every day, you know. There's it's not, definitely not. a local not. jazz club in Corona, California, right. where I grew up. Right, you know? right. <laughs> um, for the most part, n- no. I did have one friend. Um, I mean, we're still friends. Um, but he was also really into jazz. So if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have been... I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I probably still would have been crazy just because of that experience, but at least I had someone else to share it with, you know. Um, and then um, my band director was pretty hip, um, so I, uh, I don't believe he ever lived in New York City or anything like that. But he was knowledgeable, more knowledgeable about jazz than most high school band directors. So good resource. Yeah, and he kicked my ass and. Um, and uh yeah he was kind of a blessing for me um because he rode me really hard especially like my junior year um but uh yeah so uh, i had some good guidance i guess but no one was like a real jazz musician that i knew but uh there were a couple people like i would go check out when i was in high school for sure in san jose this uh, piano player named smith dobson who unfortunately passed when i was like a freshman in college um, I used to go see him a lot when I was in high school. He had the regular gigs, and he was incredible, just a really incredible jazz musician. Um, but I started going to, like, camps and stuff, and and at the camps, they, they, they teach you, like, this is how you do this. And you get to see, like, how they live and the things they say and the way they walk and, like, all that stuff. So you start to, like, be around jazz musicians and feel like a jazz musician and start vibing people like a jazz musician. <laughs> <laughs> 
pick up on the lingo. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, what was that leap to New York like? Was it a pretty smooth thing for it was, you? It was fairly smooth. Um, I, I'm not – it sounds like braggadocious or something like that, but I, I'm a fairly, like – no fear kind of person like i just jump right in and uh, figure it out as i go and i had a little bit of because of my obsession with this music and everything I, like i knew people that lived there already and like i had a place to move so it wasn't kind of like um how you might see in the movies or, or like you know the actress i'm gonna make it in the big city like yeah it's like i already had friends there and like i i knew where i was gonna live and then my friend from high school who went to a different college we decided we're moving to New York City at the same time, so we lived together, you know. So it wasn't uh, as crazy as it could have been. Um, and, you know, this is a long tie-in that I'm making here, but, like, it's a, it's about community, you know, and uh, the Montevallo Jazz Festival is, like, kind of a process of that, too. It's like it, we ha we need people for things, and... Um, so I, uh, that's how I started off in New York is just by my contacts that I already had. And then you get more and yeah. you get more. And then. So you already felt like you had a little bit of a, a foundation and a community there when you got there. So. Yeah. And they were mentors in a way, you know, like I was definitely not on their level musically at all. And, um, and they knew that of course. Um, but they would still like invite me over for sessions or whatever. And I would ask them questions all the time and hang out at their gigs and go to their gig, you know? So, um, yeah, I knew people when I moved there. That's the only way that I made it happen. Did you know pretty early on that you yourself wanted to make your own records where you were yeah. the band leader? Yeah. Yes, the egomaniac in me. <laughs> Very early on, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be making records and I'm going to be in downbeat and stuff. And, you know, it is arrogance, um, but it also has helped drive me to get better at the same time so um, I've learned a lot along the way but yes I've always wanted to have my own individual voice uh, on the instrument and uh, with my tunes and stuff like that did you jump into that pretty quickly or did you spend time playing in a lot of other people's bands pretty much been trying to do my own thing since I picked up the guitar um, uh, I mean I did learn all those like uh, Nirvana Pearl Jam tunes and uh, then it was like Rage Against the Machine and then uh... yeah, dude I <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I I don't know I I listened all the way back to like that atrophy stuff oh cool and I feel like there's a lot of that rage energy yeah and kind of that Mars Volta totally. vibe in in it's to me it's it's as much as this like indie rock post rock album as it is a jazz record uh, i mean so fucking cool man like i was like way into it when i when i put it i just wasn't expecting it uh -huh. and that stuff's very like up my alley and awesome things. like i don't know i feel like we're so probably, uh pretty close in age if nirvana yeah. was in junior high yeah yeah like what year did you graduate uh i graduated high school in 99 okay so i'm four years behind you okay so, yeah like so we yeah i grew up you grew up MTV in the nineties at like yeah. at eight years old watching all that shit. So yeah, totally. It's, uh, that that all hits really hard. So uh, it's nice to hear 
you say that uh, about the music that that's like my first uh, real album, my first full length album, Atrophy, um, and that music was born out of like frustration in a way, and and me wanting to go back to that energy of just like being in a garage band in San Jose, just like just like ripping with distortion, just like kicking a mic stand over, and just like just, you know, <laughs> but, but like there's not a lot of room for the art. I mean, there definitely is now. I. I was trying to be someone else when I first moved to New York. I was trying to be this other, like, more sophisticated, like, in, intellectual, uh, thoughtful improviser on standard American repertoire. In and I'm glad I do that, and it, it's, I still do that. And I'm glad I did that, but that wasn't the most me, you know. Like the most me was like that guitar shit, you know, and like w lots of energy. And uh, so it's nice to hear that you heard that <laughs> yeah no it was, it was cool um how long uh how long did you stay in new york i was there about eight years um, okay so yeah when you made atrophy was that still yeah i was still in, in new, new york, york? Okay. yeah yeah um yes uh i made my first let's call it record quote unquote um it was an EP, if you want to call it that. It was five songs, but jazz songs are kind of long, so it's longer than like a you know rock EP, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that was made in 2004, and then Atrophy was recorded in 2007, but didn't come out until 2009. And then uh, there was one more made in New York, and that was the third one, Tone, um, that's out there. And there's some like indie rock vibe on that one too. But Atrophy was kind of the that release, that was kind of the when you started kind of leaning into what you felt like your voice yeah. was yes. and not trying to be what you were when not you were trying to be to something else yeah. yeah like i actually you know it def i definitely cringe when i listen to the first one that that ep thing but all those tunes are mine and like i'm i'm pretty proud of those tunes especially for like where i was at i you know i was like 23 years old or something like that and those are cool tunes and you know my playing isn't terrible but like it, it's definitely cringe worthy in a way but i was still writing my own tunes i guess and um but uh, atrophy was like was it was kind of like where i kicked things off for sure along with all that were you playing in other people's bands too sitting in yeah not as much as i probably should have or would have liked and i think that speaks more to the like um uh, inability seems like a strong word but i wasn't as strong at playing jazz standards as I was at doing my own thing. Okay. Um, even though I really want to be and and still feel that way, like it's not my strength, but I really like it a lot, and that's what I practice the most, is just playing like stable mates or whatever, you know. Like, but uh, but I'm definitely strongest at doing my own thing, and um, so I'm always you know trying to work on the weak weaker parts, which is the more standard thing. But uh, need to focus on the thing that makes me happy, which is being me. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. that's all of us. Yeah, I yeah, I appreciate. I think what I learned listening to the music is you appreciate not only a bunch of different styles of jazz, but mm. also just a lot of different styles of music. Like I said, I heard the bluesy stuff and the heavy yeah, stuff. Totally. Um, and I think that's, that's cool great. that you were that you're able to have those influences bleed in just as much as the jazz influences well yeah i mean uh, thanks man after a rough couple of days it's nice to hear that that, that what you just said <laughs> and uh is it uh your newest record the mm -hmm. most recent one twin evil twin yeah evil twin yeah that's like is that like the most out record that you've yeah, ever put definitely 
for sure. Out. Yeah, and that's a but that's out. a it's out. Yeah, um, it, it could be more out. I think in terms of like the spectrum of jazz and stuff, it uh, I I like to think that it's still a little bit tuneful because um, that's the process we come from when we make that music is like a compositional process. It's not noodling. It's not jamming. It's like we are composing a new piece of music together. That's the idea. Um, but it's definitely avant-garde sounding for sure. Um, yeah. Um, that, that seems to be like the, the part for some like casual listeners that, that that's the difficult part to, wrap their heads around makes total sense to me yeah <laughs> i mean uh, i was speaking with someone recently um in an interview and i i was like i hated eric dolphy when i first heard it like i definitely did not think it was good right and it took me a while to like hear it i think you know with time and i was open to it i was like okay well everyone else loves eric dolphy uh i don't but what a let's at least like understand it before we just say, Oh, I don't like it. And then I eventually grew to like it, you know, like, and uh, that's just one example that's happened to me lots and lots of times. And I hope that happens for lots of people, you know? Yeah. I, that was, that's been my experience with it for sure. I, at first I didn't really, it was tough for me to process. Mm -hmm. And then I think it took me seeing it live a couple times mm -hmm. to see just how far down sometimes these the musicians go down the rabbit hole and yeah. to see them kind of like pull out of it and mm -hmm. and and find it again is is that's super exciting and mm -hmm. and I don't I don't always know what's happening still but I do know that when they when they find that thing again it's it's a wild experience and it's like it's, very psychedelic almost mm. sometimes I got to see Herbie nice uh when he was here last year mm -hmm. and it's just like unreal those moments where mm -hmm. where the whole band is just so far into this thing mm -hmm. and and together yeah yeah they're improvising together i mean that's to me uh, um like someone more academic than me might say say something negative about what i'm going to say which is like it's magic like um not to say that it isn't explainable or something but it's just that's what i'm constantly after in my improvisation whatever it is um whether it's over indie rock jazz tunes or over stable stable mates or in t total free improvisation i'm in search of uh something new and and something that uh i can hopefully share with the people that i'm playing with uh and yeah it's like the magic happens it's high risk high reward is what i would say about avant-garde music or really experimental whatever the hell word you want to use the music that people call noise music or whatever because they don't know enough about it the most magic happens there the most frequently because it's the highest risk it's high risk high reward like and it makes me happy when we find those moments it makes all of us happy like we can burst out laughing like how the hell did that happen you know it's it's really great do you think it's just because it's so new, like when those moments yeah. happen and it's just... Yeah, it goes back to that Warren Luster feeling for me, too. It's like uh, there is no... Uh, I I love Smells Like Teen Spirit, but if I ever have to hear that song again or play that song, it's like I don't want to play that song ever. Yeah. Like, you know? I sometimes... 
skip it when I listen to that record. Right. I think I've I think I've spent enough time skipping it now where I don't care and I'm uh, okay with yeah. I'm okay with it and it's just so iconic to like childhood and and a whole mm-hmm. generation of music after it, which is cool, but yeah, there was so long where I just started Skip with it. song two. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it it's hard uh, for me to repeat uh, things. I don't like repetition, which and you, which is why you play people, jazz. Yeah, <laughs> most people do. I remember, I, like when I was in high school, I had a job as a stock boy at an auto parts store, and I was terrible at it just because I could not do that i could not read a number and put a thing back and then it was it was too much i was like this is not who i am (laughs) i need to quit immediately um i didn't get a chance to like go through credits on records Mm -hmm. but are you someone who likes to try to work with the same group of musicians or are you someone that likes to since you do like things so new do you like to shake it up and and play with a bunch of different people um Yes, to both questions. All right. Um, no, I mean, I love uh, chemistry. I, I do like to make music with friends. I don't usually play music under my own terms with people that I don't care for personally. Um, I usually make music with friends. Um, and I do like long-lasting relationships. I mean, uh w- I'm kind of loyal to a fault, uh, whether it's a sports team or, um, you know, uh, friends or family members or whatever. Like, I'm kind of loyal to a fault. And it's the same thing for music. Like, uh, I like long-lasting relationships, but I also like new. So um, I I have, I think Chris Higgins is on four of my records as a bass player. Jeff Craley is on three of my records as a bass player. Um, I love those guys and i want to make more records with them but i'd also like to make a record with tom wakeling here in town or you know whomever just like i love playing music and i love uh connecting with people through music so the more the merrier but also let like hang on to the relationships that you have yeah um do you feel like different musicians kind of just show you different things too? totally of like and what oh, they man. pull out of you you can uh, i mean i I have a, a decent book of tunes now and I play my tunes with different people and they end up being different pieces of music, you know, and that's exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, the Mist, Moss, and Home record, I yeah. think is my, my favorite after well, going thanks. through for the day. Yeah. I, I appreciated <laughs> all, like everything I listened to and I didn't get to go through everything, but, um, and that's to, going back to the last question. That's <laughs> kind of like my band, uh, here in Portland is, uh, Tim Wilcox on tenor sax, Charlie Doggett on drums, Chris Hickens on bass. Is that like the same lineup for all the records that have that similar artwork on them? No. Okay. Um, kind of dig that vibe that you have on, on a few of those records. They have, they all kind of have that, that the similar artwork. look, but uh-huh. they're a little bit different. Yeah, those those uh, albums um, that you're talking about, like Evil Twin and Tango in the City of Roses, uh, they're on the PJCE Records label. Okay. And uh, the whole catalog has that vibe. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that banter song, man, oh, cool. is so good. And then that follows up with that Children in the Park uh-huh. song, which I think is just, I don't know. All Thanks. of it's r- really cool. I <laughs> Appreciate it. that, man. Yeah. Um, when did you, or what brought you to Portland? I finished my master's degree at the University of Nevada in Reno. 
Um, and I was splitting time basically between Reno and New York. My wife is a flight attendant. So I was like, when I wasn't in school, I was in New York. My brother was living in Brooklyn and I would stay there. So like summers, winter vacation, spring break, I was still gigging there a lot. A lot of people would see me around town. I was like, did you move or are you, what's going on? Like they didn't know that I was not living in New York, um, but I was sort of, <laughs> so it was a confusing time. Um, my wife and I were married at the time. We were engaged. So that made that part easier. Um, but uh, so when I graduated, we were now married. It was like, okay, what are we going to do now? We're not going to live in Reno. And then we're like, well, we don't want to move back to New York because we want to like raise a family and we just didn't want to do that in New York. Not that you can't. We just, we didn't want to. Um, so we were like, well, where else then? And I was like, well, not LA. I'm, I'm just not an LA guy. And um, that would have been easier in some ways because she's a fly attendant and she's based out of that metropolitan area and pretty prominent jazz scene there yeah in the city yeah yes it is and i'm not sure i would have fit in. i guess i would have found a way to fight fit in there and i know people on the scene there certainly um a lot of driving in los angeles yeah uh Indeed. although portland's starting to be like that um <laughs> so we were like well where else and san francisco is so expensive and then we were th like well what about seattle and it had to be like a city right my wife's from yakima uh, and there's not a jazz scene there. Yeah, I think that's yeah, fair yeah. to say. It's not. There's right. no jazz scene there. Um, so that wasn't going to work, you know, unless I was going to become a plumber. Um, and so Portland was a happy accident. I didn't really know anyone in Portland when I moved here. Uh, we just chose Portland because it was less expensive than Seattle or San Francisco. That's what made us pick. And... Um, the one person I knew when I moved here was Clay Guyberson because I had met him through friends in New York City. And uh, so we moved here and the rest is history. Um, yeah. How did you kind of insert yourself into, this, into the, uh, the jazz scene here? I called Clay and tried to like play with him right away. And um, he set up a session with Chris Brown on drums and John Nastos on saxophone. And that was like the first playing I think I did when I first moved here. And then I just started going to jam sessions. And uh, because I know the standard repertoire, which is what I try to tell like students and stuff, if you know the standard repertoire, then you can play with people, you know? Um, so I would go to jam sessions and meet people and um, play. And I try to get my own gigs. One of the first things I did when I first moved here was uh, a jam session for jazz composers. And that brought a certain crowd that wasn't necessarily going to Ron Scene's jam sessions. Yep. Did you, uh, you said you didn't play tons at, in other people's bands in New York. Did you find yourself playing in, in more spots where you weren't like the band leader when you moved to Portland then, since you were just trying to get into the the community here i think it started uh in terms of gigs it started with my own gigs um but because i had been going to jam sessions and, stuff, and i went to jam sessions a lot in new york too and in new york there's more of a culture not that there isn't a culture but there's more of one in new york of uh jam sessions at people's homes um so it was common to have a few jam sessions a week in someone's apartment in some part of the city um and i tried to do some of that when i first moved here but um I guess uh, to answer that question about playing in other people's bands, um, that didn't happen right away. Um, it happens more now than probably it had uh, at any other time in my career, I guess. But um, 
I still think I'm probably a, more of a band leader than a sideman, although I, I love being a sideman. But yeah, what have you kind of come around to mm. as being a sideman? Like, what, what parts of that do you enjoy? Oh, uh, uh, all of it. Uh, um, and or how, uh, do you, how do you enjoy it differently, maybe? Uh, well, I would like to say that one of my strengths as a jazz guitar player is my ability to accompany and um, and provide support um, from listening and uh, not uh, not saying too much, not overreacting too much. Uh, not I don't mean overreacting emotionally. I mean like reacting too often, too much. Um, pr- providing support and and as an a sideman, you're asked to do that more often than not. Um, one of my weaknesses as a sideman is uh, reading, sight reading music. But I'm a guitar player, <laughs> so that's my only excuse. Uh, uh, and that has actually gotten like a lot better uh, since I moved to Portland. Probably because I do it more than I have ever done. Um, that held me back a little bit in New York. I think is like my ability to sight read music. Um, never been a strength of mine, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, although I don't enjoy sight reading at all, <laughs> mostly because I'm not, we don't like to do things that we're not good at. Right, <laughs> right. No, that's you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's way more fun to do shit that you're really good at. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Um, but now, like at the jazz fest, you're playing with Mel, Mel Brown, uh, right? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm the guitar chair consistently in the Portland Jazz Composers Ensemble, okay. which is a, a nonprofit organization. It's an ensemble. It's a record label. Um, and I'm heavily involved in that organization. Um, so I am a maybe the least important part of that entire band. Uh, and I'm, a, I'm again, I'm totally okay with that as a sideman. I'm just going to do my role. Um, Actually, I'm gonna just bring this back to baseball. Like when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to music, and, and I, I'm like a, a second baseman that gets on bla- gets on base and plays defense. Like I'm not you're a role player. I'm yeah. I'm not a home run hitter for like, sure. You're, you're consistent. Though. I'm not yeah. I, I'm <laughs> consistent enough for baseball. You work hard. <laughs> I work hopefully. hard. I, I do the little things. You know, yeah. like the, all those dumb sports uh, phrases that we say. And you don't make the dumb mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I, I try not to. You know. Um, so it's got the fundamentals. <laughs> Steady as she goes. <laughs> Just, yeah, all of the uh, sports things. Um, so. Uh, that works well for a guitar player in a big band is because like it's never about you uh, my yeah. joke is that if if you can be heard then you're too loud in a big band um so that's my chair in mel brown headlining the festival this year for sure is it, so he's headlining the festival with his longtime partner gordon lee who is a piano player and band leader and um he wrote all of the music for this set um, so those two guys are the stars. And then the organization that I uh, help uh, run with Douglas Dietrich, Douglas Dietrich's our, our executive director, musical director, head honcho, um, he directs the PJCE. So I'm just, I'm part of that while they are headlining. Yeah. Did that organization exist prior to the, the jazz festival? It did. In fact, um, kind of tying back to my connection here in Portland, like when I started that composers jam session thing, people would come after that and they're like, have you heard of the Portland Jazz Composers and Ensemble? I'm like, no, tell me about it. And they're like, there's this ensemble, it's a nonprofit. And they focus like on 
uh, writing music and you should reach out to them. So I got in touch with them and uh, them was Andrew Oliver and Daniel Duvall. Um, and they both like were leaving the organization at the same time that Douglas Dietrich and myself were interested in getting involved. Um, so we kind of picked up the reins and ran with it. Um, so it, it had been around a little while. And what is, uh, what is the function of that, that organization? The mission statement <laughs> verbatim is no, um, its main function is to both commission and perform new work by organ area composers for large jazz ensemble. Actually, that was pretty close to the mission for Beta. I'm <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> so that ties in pretty well to the jazz festival here. Totally. So I was a, a, a part of that organization, and then I had heard from your last guest, Neil Matson, on Facebook that some dudes in the Montevilla neighborhood were interested in a jazz festival. I was like, oh, that's cool. So I went to a meeting and I met Neil there and uh, he was just there at a neighborhood association meeting uh, for some other reason, but I got to meet him. And then I met the chair of the neighborhood association, who was this guy that he was talking about. And we just started up a conversation and started talking about like, what would a festival look like? And we all had kind of like the same mentality that, well, it should be about new music, you know, not standards. It should be about originally composed music and like all of us liked really out weird jazz so like that should be part of it and it should be part of the neighborhood and so it just kind of ran from a crazy idea from four guys in a neighborhood um what what is your your role in the in the festival from year to year now i'm the uh, the title is programming director some people would associate it with like an artistic director i guess curation um, and cura- stuff like yeah. that yeah I, I i think if i had to boil it down to a sentence i'm in charge of like how the festival sounds okay but i, I don't make all the decisions i'm just like kind of in charge of that you know like in fact i'm glad that i don't make all of the decisions because some really cool stuff has happened in that festival that i didn't come up with you know it, it's a it's a process that we're all very involved in yeah, and um, you, when you're curating something like that, are you trying to keep it like super spread out as far as the the types of of jazz that are? Yeah, we showcased? try to make it pretty diverse. Yeah, and this year is a pretty good example. I mean, our headliner is Mel Brown, which is as right down the middle and inside as it gets, and I'm proud of that because he is great. Yeah, um, he's a legend. Yeah, he's a legend, and he's important. And but it's very. Uh, right down the middle and we have some really out stuff too and we have modern which is a hard thing i think to um get across to some people but modern isn't necessarily out it's just a different aesthetic you know like modern jazz has a different aesthetic than straight ahead jazz and and out jazz yeah and and, i mean there's also some people on on the lineup that maybe resemble even like some singer-songwriter stuff yeah yeah, um, right. Kathleen. Yeah. Yeah, Kathleen Hollingsworth. That's who I was I was thinking definitely. about for sure. I was yeah. checking out some of her tunes yeah. and there's definitely a lot of singer songwriter yeah. blues elements to totally. that. Totally. And she's a really great musician. I mean, um 
I don't know her exact title, but she's like a, a vocal jazz instructor at Clackamas Community College. Um, uh, that's she does more than that, but she, you know she's really great. She she knows the jazz canon really well. And Sherry Alves is another um, yeah. Per, you know she's got yeah. There's a lot of we have a lot of diversity in terms of uh, the aesthetic that we have at the festival. Music. Yeah, and it seems like there's also just like I don't know. There's a lot of cool collaborations going on at the yeah. festival. Totally. That's what the festival is all about. Community, experimentation. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, I know you came you came here from a lesson, mm-hmm. from yeah. giving a lesson. When, yeah. did, when did you start when did you start teaching? Um, I started teaching in New York City. Um, and it was sort of born out of frustration, uh, to be honest with you. I didn't have the most pleasurable experience in my undergraduate studies. Um, And then when I moved to New York City, I found that there were gaping holes in my jazz education um, that could have been filled uh, earlier on. And so I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to go back and do it right. And again, there's more arrogance. um, From me, I thought it was going to be easier (laughs) than it is. But just as far as like, you mean by going back and getting it right, just kind of teaching people differently? Yes. So that there are less holes. In so less you holes. Found? Yeah. Uh, and 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 more forgiveness and uh, more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, more inclusivity. Um, uh, my frustration with my undergraduate degree or my undergraduate studies was born out of uh, they didn't like what I was doing. They wanted me to do what they wanted me to do. And that didn't work for me because I have a stronger personality than that. Um, so I just continued to do what I was doing as hard as I could do it. And um, yeah, so I wanted to be inclusive in my teaching of people that had a very strong vision, um, but make sure that they take care of the fundamentals, You know, take care of the craft. You can do your own thing. You don't have to listen to everything I say, but you better have a damn good reason. Um, and and we can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find that that approach worked pretty quickly? I for still you? live by it. I mean, um, I think I you know I live and die by it. Maybe educationally, um, and there are definitely people that disagree with kind of how I approach education. But yeah, I'm still sticking to this is for everyone, you know. And that sounds a little hippy dippy or whatever. But I'm not going to tell you because I, I believe so strongly in the um, the. Uh, expression from individual expression how how can you have individual expression if you're doing something that someone told you to do you know um you need to know why it is that you're doing it that's kind of where i come from and that can lead to um some frustration for students or the educator i think um because it's a harder way to go it's a harder way to go than just do this Okay, you did this, and right. that's a uh, acceptable outcome for doing this. You know, well, what if I don't want to do that? Okay, why is what I would say. You know, like you don't want to do the thing. That's maybe okay. What's your very good reason for not doing this? Right. And, okay. Great. Or, or like, how are you going to do the equivalent of this work in your own creative fashion? Yes. Kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Because I think that's probably part of it too. If you want to. When you go down those roads, since there isn't 
necessarily a blueprint for it or you're right. not saying hey you need to do this it, it sometimes take a, takes a little more work on both ends to yeah. you know do the work on your own or figure out what that work is yeah i yes and i was just thinking while we're talking about this that it's sort of a goal of mine where like if i was a reputable jazz education person and uh I would want none of my students to sound like me, first of all, but also for there to not be, oh, that sounds like one of Ryan's students. You know what I mean? Like, th I would like for my really strong students to just sound like themselves, not one of Ryan's students. Yeah. Yeah, because you're about that, that yeah. individual you be expression. You. Right. you be the best you that you can be, and I'll help you get there. So that's, that's your thing is trying to bring that yeah. that out of them instead of... Man, Neil had this great thing about um, showing someone the door instead of pushing them through it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it stuck with me. Um, That's cool. What do you... Uh, what's the, the most challenging part of, of being a teacher for you? Uh, I'm constantly challenged by... Uh, the lack of time that I have, although I'm not sure that is really addressing your question. Um, I, I'm I have my irons and so many irons and so many fires that it's hard to keep everything together. But that's not really a function of the job, I guess. Okay, if we put me in a hypothetical situation where I just had the one teaching gig and could put all of my time and energy of my teaching into that one thing, what would be the challenge? Maybe that's the experiment to explore. Um, I would say that uh, it's hard sometimes when your students quit. Um, and I think every educator goes through some of that. It's like... I, it's not necessarily your fault, but you still don't want to see them quit. You know, you want to see them go through it. There's uh, some way to make, in my case, music a part of your life. It could be whatever it is, but like uh, to see students not follow through or to follow through and then quit, you know, like I did all the things and now I just don't play music anymore. Yeah. Oh man. It doesn't have to be like that, you know? Yeah. You just kind of hope that's not their thing though, I guess. Yeah. But I can see also how you could, attach yourself to that and uh -huh. be like oh did i fail them yeah, in I try some not way to do that. <laughs> i mean and that certainly could be the case uh and we we try not to make that you know, yeah. we try to get better uh, but yeah you, i don't know when it comes to me one of the reasons why i teach is uh because i'm so passionate about music and i want music to be part of everyone's life um that wants it to be part of their life and usually if they come to me they want it to be part of their life and to see them quit yeah that's hard because the thing that I'm so passionate about is no longer stoking their flame. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's that's cool that it seems like your your creativity though, like it, it comes through in like everything you're doing, you know, like in your music <laughs> and then like like through your teaching skill, like your your ways of teaching and stuff. So it seems very consistent, you know. Yeah, teaching's hard um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, everything's hard. Um, one of the things that teaching style that I'm talking about, it's hard to quantify and it's hard to, like if you have these outcomes, you know, uh, that's a, a big driver in education now is like uh, meeting outcomes and, and things like that. And 
Um, I'm definitely interested in that, and I think it's super important, but there's more, too. Like, just because you're not meeting outcomes doesn't mean they're not learning, and it doesn't mean that it's not important. You know, they could be not meeting outcomes, but they could be learning, and it's still a part of their lives, and there's room for that. Yeah. Do you find that, like, most of the musicians you're working with are ones that you see are going to be the people that want to be the band leaders? Oh, I wish there were more, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, I wish there were, and that's one of the things where I was talking about, like, my silly arrogance. I thought I was going to be getting those kinds of students, and I in- infrequently do. I sometimes do, but not as frequently as I do. And to be honest with you, I think my teaching style is best with those types of students, the students that have a little bit more of, like, what they want to do. And I don't tend to be the best teacher when students have less ambition and direction um i it's i'm not as good that's a, that's very honest <laughs> i dig that <laughs> um, in trouble <laughs> <laughs> uh what do you uh who are you most stoked about for jazz festival uh, this year the Montevilla jazz festival not to yeah only like to target one but uh <laughs> is there someone this year well, I can tell you that I'm really excited about um, Dana Reason's set um, because it is so experimental and um, forward-thinking, and it's new, and um, there's a multimedia element to it, so it's going to be different. You know, it's it's different, it's new, and it's out. You know, so these are things that uh, I love and kind of started the festival. You know, it's like the festival was was made for this. Um, but I'm also excited to see Mel Brown play because he's Mel Brown, you know, and, and this is different Mel Brown too, which is what's cool about our festival. The, the stuff that our festival attendees are going to see from Mel Brown is something they have not seen from Mel Brown. Uh, that, I mean, I think that's fair because he's playing on Saturday night with the organ quartet, which is one of the most like playing bands in Portland on any genre. But they're not playing that music. They're playing new music that's original, and they don't. They're not known for that, you know. So that's cool. And um, and then on Sunday night, headlining with the big band. Um, I I don't know of any time Mel Brown has played with a big band in Portland. It's if it has happened since I've lived here, I'd be shocked. Yeah, it, it probably happened a long time ago. That's the the beauty of those festivals, man. You see some <laughs> collaborations yeah. that you don't, you know, normally see. I just got back from Pickathon and oh, sweet, got to see so much cool shit happen that you know just isn't probably going to happen again. You know? Yeah, and just get to see the Preservation Hall Jazz Band oh, join man. Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats to like play a set, and yeah, it's crazy. Wow, it's, it's super fun. Um, That's wild. We're gonna play it out with the Charlie Porter Jam. Great. Um, what can you tell the listeners and myself about about Charlie? Charlie Porter, uh, cool guy. Let's start there. I love hanging with that guy. Um, one of the more impressive musicians. Trumpet player. Right? Trumpet player. Yep. Trumpet player. So he's he's ridiculous. Like uh, he is an incredible trumpet player. So like just take take the jazz part out of it. Like his facility on his instrument is incredible. He has an amazing sound on his instrument. It's it's both like uh, 
traditional and modern at the same time. It fills up the whole horn. It's just like it's the kind of trumpet sound you want um, f- to hear. And if you're a trumpet player, that's the kind of trumpet sound you want to play. Um, so, and then like fundamentally, just his musicianship is off the charts. And he writes really cool music um, and improvises like a complete monster. So he's just like as good as it really gets um, on on trumpet. Um, and what else do you want to know about him? He's uh, been in Portland yeah. a little bit less than I have. He's been here about five, six years, something like that. Well, he's got a really cool uh, self-titled record. Yeah. And I've been digging into that, and it's got some pretty wild compositions totally on it and yeah it seems like a really cool style of playing so definitely yeah. one of the things definitely I'm looking forward to, to for sure yeah um, that, that his band is also kind of an archetypal uh band for our festival because it's like that killing to use jazz parlance killing modern jazz uh with the best portland has to offer with alan jones john lakey Joe Manis and who's on keys, Greg Goebel. I mean, bands just don't get better than that in Portland. And uh, so, like, the music is high flying, the improvisation is off the charts, and it's new, originally composed music. That's the Montevilla Jazz Festival right there. Perfect. Perfect, <laughs> man. That's, uh, I'm super stoked for it, man. August 17th and 18th, Montevilla neighborhood, jazz festival is going down. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for hanging, man, and talking about all your, you know, your music history and, oh, and how you got involved with this this jazz festival. It seems like a very very cool thing for the community, and uh, yeah, just appreciate the the stories behind the music and <laughs> and, and uh, I'm stoked to dive more into the into the tunes of, right. of yours. I appreciate gotta, the. I gotta go deeper into the records. <laughs> I'm telling you. Appreciate the time, Dan. It's been fun. And it's Ryan Marr. Ryan Marr. Which I'm not really sure how that spells Marr. Yeah, it's um, Irish, so there's a bunch of extra letters you don't oh, need. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, all right. That makes sense. Um, I will uh, put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, follow you and also the Montevilla Jazz Festival so they can purchase tickets or, and whatnot on, yeah. the, on the old internet. Hope to see you guys there. Uh, and we end every episode of the podcast with mm. the guest saying the uh, the catchphrase for the show, which is "It's a program." So if we can get the uh, the Ryan Mar, mm. "It's a program," we can uh, properly mm. sail this thing out. It's a program. He nailed it. He nailed it, everybody. That's Ryan Mar, and uh, we're playing it out with uh, a song off Charlie Porter's self-titled record. It's uh, available on all them streaming services, and uh, this is a song called New Beginnings. And that is the Jelly Jams. We will catch you on the flip side, Portland.
It's a program.